uh, Christ, Jesus Christ as friend. Our main text will be from John chapter 15, verses 12 through 15. Jesus says, recorded by the Apostle John, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. I found it helpful, something that John Piper said regarding Jesus Christ as friend. He says that our friendship with Christ is asymmetrical. What in the world does that mean? For something to be symmetrical, it means that it's the same on both sides. If you cut it right down the middle, it's equal on both sides. So asymmetrical means it's not equal on both sides. One, is, one side is different than the other. And that is how you can describe our friendship with Christ. And there are four ways in which our friendship with Christ is asymmetrical. First is he loved us first with a great, with the greatest possible love. It begins in, uh, well, I'm going to begin. So our main text is John 15. We're going to be going through that, but I'm going to jump around um, as well. So uh, you can just listen. You can just jot down the references if you want to refer to later. But I'm going to take us to 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. This is, the, this is the same man writing, okay? So there is some continuity here. He writes this. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Meaning he came and took the penalty for our sin. He made the payment for what we owed. He covered the cost of our sin. That's propitiation. And just a few verses later, he says, we love because he first loved us. So here we have Christ. We are in our friendship with Christ. We are not friends with him because we loved him first. Our friendship is founded upon the fact that he loved us first. And it wasn't just an ordinary love. It was the greatest love. And our main passage in John 15, verse 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Now, what, what does he mean by the greatest? Well, he's talking about a spectrum of, of loving acts. So he's not talking about the object of the love. He's talking about the act of service or sacrifice. So for an example, there are things that I do for my wife, like take care of the children so she can have a night out. Maybe getting her a glass of water or something to eat while she's on the couch. Those are acts of love. I do this because I love her. I show my love to her through those things. But compare those acts of love with me laying down my life for her. Me 
ending my life so that hers can continue. They're all acts of love, but which is greater? Hands down, to give your life for another is the greatest act of love you can possibly give. So for Christ, he didn't just love us with an abstract love. He gave us a concrete love. He didn't come and test the waters first and say, well, I'll serve them for a little bit to show them I love them, and we're going to see how they respond before I do this greatest final act of love. And if they don't respond to my love, well, then it's off. No. He was all in. The being with the greatest capacity to love loves with the greatest possible love. This is the power and the strength and the force of the love of God. And that is what we celebrate on Christmas. That he came to earth not to serve, but to be served. Or excuse me, not to be served, but to serve. He came as an expression of the love of God. And he did so in the greatest possible way. He loved us first with the greatest possible love to begin our friendship. But his love is more powerful than that. Not only did he love us first with the greatest possible love, his love makes his enemies his friends. His love turns hearts back to him. You may recall in Matthew chapter 5, when we went through the Sermon on the Mount, this passage. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good alike, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more do you have than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. We read that, and I want to emphasize that Jesus does not just come to love those who love him. Jesus came to love his enemies. And you may say, oh, okay, Ryan, how does that mean? How does that make what you say true? That Jesus' love turns his enemies who were against him and makes them his friends. But we also read in Romans chapter 5, verse 10. It says, for if while we were enemies with God, for if while we were enemies We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. That's a statement. All those who do not have faith in God are his enemies. And that means before you place your faith in God, and if you have not done so yet, you are currently an enemy of God. You are against him. You do not believe him. You reject him. 
For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Jesus Christ came to earth in the midst of his enemies and loved them. He loved them first. He loved them with the greatest love. And that love turned their hearts, changed them from being enemies of God. It says reconciled. They are now friends. You know, there's a big difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. You can forgive somebody and not hold something against them, but your relationship is forever changed. But when Jesus comes, he takes the enemies of God and makes them reconciled. He makes them good. They are now on good terms. That is the power of the love of Christ. So he loved us first, and he loved us with the greatest possible love, and that greatest possible love changes our hearts from being enemies of God to being what? His friends. Jesus' love makes his enemies his friends. It turns them. It changes their hearts. And that is the essence of salvation. And that is what he came to this earth to do. Christ's love turns his enemies into friends. So that is the first way in which it is asymmetrical. It's all in Christ. It's the foundation. He began the loving relationship we have with him. And he did all the work that was necessary for us to come into that loving relationship. The second way in which our love is asymmetrical, it is unbalanced, it is heavy on his side and light on ours, is that we obey him. If you notice in verse 14 of our passage, John chapter 15, he says this, you are my friends if you do what I command you. That's important. We have to ask ourselves a question. What kind of if is this? You are my friends if you do what I command you. How are we to interpret this if? How we interpret this is the difference between knowing and believing the gospel of Jesus Christ leading to our salvation and believing a false gospel that doesn't save but leads us down a path of legalism, spiritual exhaustion and frustration, and ultimately damnation. So yeah, it's really important that we get this right. The first way, there are two ways to interpret if. The first way to interpret it is an if can be a cause that precedes and brings about an effect. Yeah, I'll explain. I'll give you an example, okay? If you score a high enough grade on your SAT, then you will get into a prestigious university. So, apply if you apply that to verse 14, this type of if would be interpreted like this. We are friends if we obey his commandments. Meaning, we have to obey him to be his friends. And our obedience to his commandments makes his laying down of his life count for us. So first you do what I command, and that doing qualifies you to be my friend, and then in turn makes my death count for you. 
He says, I lay my life down for my friends. How do you be a friend? According to this interpretation of if you be his friend by obeying his commandments. That's heresy. It's heresy. It's legalism. It's a a works-based salvation. We like it because it puts all the effort and work on us. And guess what? It gives us the glory. (laughs) How do you know something is heresy? You know it's heresy by saying, if this is true, who gets the glory? Me or Jesus? And this, it's me. I do the work of obedience. So it's through my actions that I am saved. I become a friend of Christ because I obeyed him. Go me. If it weren't for my obedience, then Jesus' death would be useless. It's powerless. It's just laying there waiting for me to do my part to make it apply to me and powerful. There's no forgiveness unless I obey. There's no salvation unless I obey. That's wrong. Unfortunately, that's how many people view the Christian faith. It's a works-based legalism. You get right with God. You become his friend through your obedience. The second way to interpret if is like this. An effect that follows and confirms a cause. An effect that follows and confirms a cause. Let me give you an example. Let's say you've, as many of you have in this room, you've battled cancer. How do you know when the cancer is in remission? If you have low white blood cell count, your cancer is in remission. You go in, you take the test, they say your white white blood cell count is low, and that's an indication that you're in remission. The low white blood cell count is the effect, not the cause. The low white blood cell count didn't cause you to be in remission. It's an effect of you being in remission. The low white blood cell, excuse me, the low white, that's a tongue twister, the low white blood cell count follows remission. It shows you're in remission. It confirms that you're in remission. So remission is the cause and the low white blood cell count is the effect. So let's apply that interpretation then to this if. If you do what Jesus commands, then you confirm that you are his friend and that his laying down of his life was indeed for you. The benefit of his death has been applied to your life and your heart, your soul, and it shows. It's confirmed through your obedience to his commands. The doing his commands is brought about by the cause of him laying down his life for you and confirms that you are counted in those friends that he dies for. This is true Christianity. True Christianity gives Christ all the glory, it gives him all the power, all the honor to Christ who dies for his enemies, making them friends turning their hearts and through the transforming power of his love are able to keep his commands. So Jesus Christ's love changes 
enemies and turns them into friends. And it makes it to where you don't gain access to him through your works. Your obedience is evidence that you belong to him. There's a parable in Matthew. We probably won't get to for a couple years at this rate. (laughs) But there's a master, uh, a foreigner who comes into a land and he buys some property and he builds up a vineyard and he creates the barns and the vats and the wine presses and everything he's going to need to create a winery. And and once it's established, he uh, puts tenants over it to oversee it and to run it to make him money. And he goes back to his home country. And so he'll send every year, he'll send a servant to get the revenue and make sure things are in order. And the tenants there, they take him and say, if we kill him, we'll get the stuff. And so they kill the servant. And so the following year, the the master sends more servants and they kill all of them. And the master says, okay, I'll send my son. And they kill him too. That's a parable of the prophets that God sent to his people over and over and over who are mistreated and butchered. And he sends his son and then what do they do to him? They kill him too. Why would God do that? There's only one reason. Because he loves He's willing to lay down his life for friends. Knowing that him laying down his life will change the hearts of these people who've done nothing but hate him and destroy his people. And they'll turn the hearts to him, back to God. The love of of God transforms people so that they obey. You don't obey to earn God's love. You obey because you've been transformed by it. So our asymmetrical relationship with Christ is that he loved us first with the greatest, most powerful love. And we in turn, because that love has transformed us Obey him. And our obedience is proof. It's evidence. It shows that his death counts for us. A third way that our relationship, our friendship with Christ is asymmetrical is that we are informed. And that is, he informs us. Look at verse 15. He says, No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. Now, <clears throat> you back away from that and you think, okay, all subjects obey the king, right? There's no one in a kingdom that disobeys the king and gets away with it. Subjects are obligated to obey the king, but servants... Slaves are given specific tasks to serve the king. They're told what to do, when to do it, how to do it, and they're often not told why. They're just expected to obey. 
But that is not Jesus' relationship with his followers. Yes, we obey, but we don't obey as servants. We don't obey as slaves. We obey as friends. The difference is that Jesus reveals his ways to his followers. The friends of the king are savvy to his thinking, to his plans, to his intention, to his will, to his liking. They obey with a sense of privilege and understanding of their master's hearts. Or excuse me, of their master's heart, of their friend's heart, of the king's heart. So here Jesus says, no longer, no longer do I call you servants. Now that is significant. Because that is meant to cause us to think about the changing scene that is taking place with the entrance of Jesus on earth and the work that he is doing changes the way God is going to relate to his people. No longer are his people, by and large, his servants to do his will. From now on, his people will be his friends. For centuries, God's people did not know or understand what God was up to. What his plan of salvation would look like, how it would come about, how it was going to be fully revealed. But Jesus brings with him the final revelation of that plan. And time and time again, the Apostle Paul in his letters says that he's been gifted with the revelation of the mystery of Christ. He declares and makes known God's plan of salvation, what he's up to, how it works. Jesus informs his friends. Now he says it uh, about... um, Verse 15 there, he says, I have called you friends for all that I've heard from my father I've made known to you. What is all there? All is an interesting word. I can say, yeah, we're all here. What does that mean? It's not everybody in the whole world is here. It means something within the context. Everyone who needs to be here, everyone who's supposed to be here, I can say all and you immediately know who I'm talking about depending on the context. What is he talking about? The context, we have to return to verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. The context is Jesus commanding his disciples to love each other. But love here is not just an abstract idea. No one can turn to Jesus and say, well, I mean, What does love really mean, Jesus? He says, I command you to love as I have loved you. How has Jesus loved? He has shown them love day in and day out. And he put a capstone on it by laying his life down for his disciples, for his friends. The greatest kind of love is the kind of love we're supposed to have for one another. He's demonstrated it. He loved them with it. So they know exactly what he meant when he said all. He went to the cross to put on display the greatest love the world has ever known. And his commandment is that we love that way. The all here 
Jesus has made known to the disciples is what he had received from the Father, the love of God. I have shown you everything that love is. So you have all the evidence, you have all the examples, you have all the knowledge you need to love each other as I have loved you. And in fact, this is what Jesus says just a few verses earlier. In verse 9, he says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. The Father loves Jesus. And Jesus, in turn, shows that love and loves the disciples with that kind of love. And he says, now it's your turn. My commandment to you as my friends is that you love like I loved you. Jesus reveals the love of the Father. He's made it known, so now we can love like he loves. It's interesting. I haven't come very far in my studies um, from Master's of Arts and, and Clinical Counseling, um, but there's, there's a pattern that takes place in which how you have been counseled is how you counsel. How you have been loved is how you are likely to love. You wonder why the world, there's a spiral and people repeat the same mistakes that their parents repeated. That's, that's one of the reasons why. The example you have is often the example that you show. With Christ, it is the perfect, greatest possible love with which he has loved you. So love that way. There's a fourth way that our relationship, our friendship with Jesus is asymmetrical. Not only did he start it with the greatest possible love, not only are we the ones who obey him, not only does he inform us, but we are welcomed into the family. For all that I have heard from my father, I've made known to you. Now this is more of a point of reiteration as well as a teaser into next week. But when Jesus calls you friend, you do not only gain the Son of God as a friend, you gain the whole family. It is through Jesus Christ that you have access to his almighty Father, the maker and ruler of heaven and earth. He says elsewhere in John that all who have seen me have seen the Father. That's a profound and powerful statement. If you've been loved by Jesus, you've been loved by the Father. If you've experienced a relationship with Jesus, you've experienced a relationship with the Father. Jesus comes to earth. He lays down his life for his friends. The most greatest, most powerful love that has the ability to turn hearts to love God. Hearts who wants, I mean, we often think, okay, I mean, really, Ryan, we hated God, we were his enemy? Yeah, that's what the Bible says. Well, I mean, I, don't, I didn't hate him, I just didn't really care. Yeah, you either love him or you hate him. That's it. You're either for him or you're against him. There's no in between. There's no just neglect. There's no, um, huh, man, I don't, I don't really care what she says. 
Jesus Christ takes people and turns their hearts to him. And then he informs them. He enables them. They are welcomed into the family of God. That is really what the Christmas story is about, is it not? That God sent his son to a place where the other servants of God had been brutally murdered, had been butchered, had been run out of town. And he does it because he loves. So what does this mean? (laughs) What does it mean that Jesus is our friend? It means that we love like he loved. In this we obey and prove that we are his friends. We love with a with the love that he had, the love that the Father shared with him, that he has now shared with us. The love that he manifested on a cross to pay for our sins, so that through faith in him we might be counted as his friend. And so my question for you this morning is are you his friend? Are you still in that ho hum state? Well, I mean I don't know. I mean I I, I guess I love him. Do you obey him? See, you don't obey him to prove that you love him. Or excuse me, you don't obey him to gain his love. You obey him because you do love him. Do you love with the kind of love that he had? Someone were to ask me that question, my response would be like, well, I mean, I haven't died for anybody lately, so what do you mean exactly? That's the extent to which his love will look like when pressed down, when pushed to the limits. He showed the greatness of his love through his sacrifice. But you can't love like Jesus without dying for another person. It takes heart, it takes passion, It takes creativity. It takes selflessness. But most importantly, it requires knowing him. It requires laying yourself before him and just soaking up his love so that you are filled to love others. Have you experienced the love that he poured out for his friends? I'm going to say something here that might be profound. If you have not experienced it, You cannot love like he loves, period. If you have not experienced the love of Christ, then you cannot love like he has commanded you to love. So this Christmas season, let's focus on just soaking up his love. Rather than running around with all the craziness that Christmas has, just Pause and be loved like him so you can love others like he loves you. Because without that, let's just take the decorations down. What, what good is it? Make you feel good for a little bit. Check it off a list. Soak up the love of Christ this Christmas season so you can love a world that is in desperate need of the love of Jesus. Let's pray.
Dear Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your word, and I thank you most importantly for Jesus Christ. Thank you for the love that he demonstrated, and I pray that this Christmas season we would soak up that love. Lord, inform us of the love again and again and again. Reveal it again and again and again. Help us to feel it again and again and again till we are full to the brim and pouring out for those around us that they can know the love of Jesus because we know the love of Jesus. I pray that you would do this to bring glory to yourself and for the good of your people. Amen.